Hi, it's Rob Kaju here. You might know me from such podcasts as The Write-Up or The Prestige or Top 5. I'm coming today to ask, essentially, for your help. Uh, we are part of a podcast network called Kaiju FM, and we are just getting going. And if you like what we make, if you like this podcast, please consider giving us some support on Patreon. You can go to kaiju.fm and follow the links for support. Every pound you give to us, or dollar you give to us, helps us make more podcasts like this, and helps us support the network as a whole. So please, if you like what we do, come give us uh, some appreciation. If not, no worries guys, please consider this a... Uh, one time request, and after that, we'll just talk about movies. Cheers! Welcome to The Prestige, all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we pick a movie, review it, talk about it and discuss some of the ideas and themes that it throws up. And as always we end with our recommendations for further reading, further films to explore after our film of the week. But before we kick off, and it's something we do every week, um, a quick catch up on what else we've been watching. So Rob, how about you? Um, the only really thing of note to what I've been filming, watching this week is uh, a film from this year, or last year, last year now, uh, called The Neon Demon, uh, which is the latest from Nicholas Wendell Riffin, director of Drive, director of Only God Forgives, um, and probably one of the most iconic directors working currently, at least visually. Uh, sensibly it tells the story of a model who moves to LA and explores the slightly darker and more seedy side of the LA model scene fashion scene but I think that would be doing a disservice to label it as that it is visually stunning and very interesting and weird but I really like it um, all tech on the table that I have worked with the director before I worked with him on one of his films previously and he was great to work with then I think it's brilliantly still churning out these odd, interesting, but mainstream films. You said mainstream as well at the end. So is this something, is this just something that Nick Winding Refn fan is going to like, or is this something more with more widespread appeal? He, he can be a very diverse director, mm. um, and a lot of people really don't like his stuff. And even I, as a fan of him, find him hit and miss. I wasn't a big fan of Any God Forgives, um, but I think, I think Drive is brilliant. Okay. Um, it is much more esoteric and much more sparse than Drive um, and you've got to enjoy film as a medium you've got to like visual imagery um, to to enjoy these films they aren't going to serve you up a nice little narrative on a plate like any other mainstream temple film um, it's not quite Lynchian in its weirdness um, but it's in that ballpark right. Neon Demon, then. Neon Demon. I would recommend. Thumbs up from Rob. Um, Yes, another 2016 film. Um, I saw the very end of 2016, and I... I would have put it in the top ten of the year. It it wasn't a top five film of the year. Um, It was the Disney film Moana. Now, I have several reservations about this um, it's not as amazing as an animated film like Inside Out for instance it's not of Pixar standard 
if you will. But um, and yeah, the the narrative was a bit predictable. Some of the some of the scripts a bit shocky, but. To be honest, it's brilliant that it exists. It's brilliant that um, the hero of a Disney film is a basically a, a prepubescent girl, adolescent girl, um, and she is not the sort of stick-thin Disney princess that people would think of. She's not Caucasian, and it's just interesting to see other cultures, other histories being portrayed, and Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne Johnson's very funny. I almost said Dwayne. I uh, uh, tried to put the Rock in. Yeah, call him the Rock. It's yeah, fine. Okay. The, the Rock is brilliant. Um, and the way that his tattoos are animated was was very funny. And yes, the central performance from I'm looking it up, um, but it's Auli Cravalho. Um, she's an American, um, but she. Does have links to Hawaii. She was certainly born in Hawaii, um, so Disney is doing something there. There's some question of quote unquote authenticity with that, which is also something we talk about in this week's film. But I would say, apart from my reservations, it is a brilliant film, and I'm glad that it exists. Um, it's not a, not a great film, but it is. It is an interesting one. Brilliant. I think it's better me move on from uh, Ins and Out because uh, I really didn't like it and a lot of people have turned okay. on me for that. So, Sam, do you want to do us an introduction to this week's film? So, this week's film is Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. One year ago, he learned the truth. You're a wizard, Harry. And his first year at Hogwarts school became legend. And so, for Harry Potter and his friends, another year begins. Bloody birds are menace. Their education in the magical arts continues. Pixies. From 2002, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets is the second in the franchise. Uh, it's based on J.K. Rowling's book of the same name. And I say Rowling, not Rowling, because I've finally found some footage of her online talking about how her name is Rowling. Um, anyway, Chamber of Secrets, based on the 1998 book of the same name. It stars the same three child actors. Um, so, Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grint, Emma Watson with support from most notably Kenneth Branagh and the voice of Toby Jones as Dobby Hauser. Tells the tale of Harry Potter's second year at Hogwarts and I mean, a, a curse set up by one of the founders, Salazar Slytherin, or a story associated with Slytherin. Um, and the titular Chamber of Secrets um, and terrible acts being associated with the opening of this chamber and the, um, I suppose, the story associated with Salazar Slytherin's heir. Is that a good way of putting it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yep. uh, I'm trying to be... Uh, well, I talked about last week. talked about spoilers last week. But... Um, Odd habits die hard, and I'm doing a non-spoiler introduction. So Harry Potter and his friends think Malfoy is this heir because of 
certain attitudes that Draco Malfoy has to those of wizarding blood and purity. Um, and Harry Potter and his friends spend the year trying to bring Malfoy to justice, find out what this Chamber of Secrets is. That's about it. Fair enough. Right. That's a good summary. Good. I don't think there's, there's, there's ever much point in asking you what you think about Harry Potter films. But, um, I wouldn't say I'm that much of a, uh, of a fan, right. boy, but I am a fan. I would say that I think this one is probably better than the first. Right. Um, I think it does, having got, as we discussed last week, a lot of the introductions out of the way um, for the first week, they could just kind of get into the story um, this time and kind of get on with it. I think that there's an interesting work in terms of the bad guy. Um, you know, like who, who is the bad guy? I mean, there is, it almost isn't a bad mm. guy to speak of. There's just some sort of force of nature going around with it. Where I enjoy the inclusion of Kenneth Branagh's character, I think it helps flesh out the world a little bit and add some, I suppose, some comic relief to what otherwise could be quite an incredibly dark film. Mm. And whilst the later films do head towards the darker end of the spectrum, certainly the earlier films still embrace the. Um, the uh, sort of uh, the lightness um, of the of, of the franchise, but yeah, on the whole, I liked it. I like this world. I like these characters. I was a fan. Sam, um, I'm going to disagree with you because I was a bit disappointed with this film. Um, I it's it's been a while since I read the book, so I remember preferring the second book to the first book. I prefer this narrative to the first one. Um, I just didn't prefer this film. Um, and it might be something as simple as the fact that it's not got as much Alan Rickman in and it's got more Kenneth Branagh in and I don't really like Kenneth Branagh much. Um, it's, it's heresy to say that. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't enjoy this film much as I enjoyed the first one. Um Maybe that's because I enjoyed the first one more than I thought it was going to be, and, and this one was a bit. Mm. Um, there, there was a coming back down to earth with the with the central characters, and it was still um, very much driven by these three actors who are who are not fully fledged actors yet, and it suffers a bit from that. Um, but I thought, well. I, I thought the, the narrative arc moved along nicely. I I enjoyed the Moaning Myrtle character. Um, and I was interested to see more of Lucius Malfoy's character. I enjoyed Jason Isaacs as Lucius Malfoy. Um, so yes, I, I didn't enjoy it as much as the first one. But I, I would still... I, I'm not saying I did not enjoy it at all. I didn't hate it. Absolutely fine. I, I mean, this film, it has some problems, and especially in, in the narrative sense, I think the, and we will leap straight into spoilers here, the inclusion of the bad guy being, I suppose, the reincarnated soul of Voldemort trapped inside a school ball diary, is quite a narrative leap from the first mm. one. Um, and I, I, I think once we get further down the franchise, especially towards the end, it makes a lot more sense. But at this point in the narrative, we are still kind of... That seems right. seems strange. Um, and I wonder how much of it is that knowing where all this is going, am I picking up on things that the new Watcher wouldn't, if you see what I'm mm. saying? Um, 
Well, while we're talking spoilers, um, now this may be me being unobservant, but was the fact that Ginny was essentially the antagonist, although she didn't actually have any part to play, she was just a tool, was that flagged anywhere in the film? And I just missed it. Not really, no. Um, you do see that you see the book at the start mm. um, when it's given to um, her. Oh, you do. Right. You do in the scene when they meet the Malfoys in the um, in the shop. That you can look back and see some things, right. but it isn't a case of like it's a mystery where you could have solved it before the actors right. for, for the um, yeah that the, they wouldn't. It, the points weren't there to pick up on. Right. I think then that is a bit of a flaw. Um, and it might be, as you say, th- there are things that make sense from later on if you know all about it, which I don't. Um, but I would say they needed to do a bit more work there, especially from the point of view of someone who doesn't know the resolution of this story. So. I suppose that, that comes back to a question about what what the film is. Now, it isn't. I mean, in my view, it isn't a murder mystery mm. in that yeah. respect. It, 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 uh, I mean, and, and, it, I think that it probably problematic, and it tries to present some of the elements of a murder mystery. You have, you know, the the random deaths. It's called deaths because they are they are the petrification of people. But the idea that there is this, it could be anybody. It could be any one of us among us. Mm. Um, and that is very much into the sort of the, the, the signals of, of, of a that kind of genre. But beyond that, you know, we don't have a bad guy. And the idea, as I said, that the, that the real bad guy is the trapped soul of Voldemort in a book, isn't something that is telegraphed. That that kind of magic isn't telegraphed. It's a bit of a dead head machine, or probably Satanus ex machina. Mm. Um, that you know, the the, the, the bad guy. Like, oh, magic! And that bit of hand waviness um, of you know that's how it works. It works by magic. Yeah, and and also you have this the introduction of Tom of Riddle. I I wasn't too sure about that, um, and it felt like it, like you said, there's this Deus Ex Machina was the book, and then in order to explain that book, they've got to like not invent but conjure up this or conjure up strange phrase, but create this this character who becomes Voldemort or is channels Voldemort, mm. and it it just just felt a bit like oh this is kind of another Deus Ex Machina, just just slightly different. It was. Oh well, you don't believe us about the book, but you're definitely going to believe us now because look, we've invented this character and inserts Riddle. It just felt a little bit convenient the way the narrative worked. I can see that, and I would say I would I would probably say this is a film that makes more sense once you've seen the whole arc. Right. Okay. Um, so I mean, that's maybe 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 why I'm coming out more favourable than you are. Mm. Because having seen all the old, whole arc, I'm like, oh yeah, I get yeah. that, I get that. Um, whereas I, 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 I can see the strings and I can see where it's all leading. But I, I remember reading this the first time and thinking it wasn't. I may I understand where a lot of things came from. So I think that's very interesting. Um, but I think that 
the film does bring in some more adult themes than the first one, certainly. And you touched on it earlier a little bit with the idea of, I suppose, wizard purity. Yeah. I, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, just looking at the dates, this is the first properly post-9-11 Harry Potter film. Um, the first mm-hmm. one was released in late 2001, but it was when it was production was over by by September, and it was it was released at the beginning of November. Um, so this is this is the first one in which um, production started in November 2001, and this feels at certain points in this film, I, I thought about well, this, this feels like a really interesting take on the idea of purity and post 9-11 ideas of racial purity come to the fore um, and whereas you you had this idea that the the western world was getting more progressive um, in the latter part of the 20th century in certain um, more enlightened attitudes to uh, discrimination um, and treatment of ethnic minorities, you have certainly huge steps forward from things like um, no blacks or Irish signs in the in the 1950s, 1950s or 60s, something like that. Um, you have in in 2001, it felt like there was there was a resetting of racial attitudes. It was a yeah, we may have come this far, but look where multiculturalism has got us. Multiculturalism can be associated with globalisation and it is associated with um, people travelling from other countries and we've seen what that does. That is terrorism. That is bad. Racial mixing is bad. And it feels like the 21st century has been a bit of a step back, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what this film is is stressing and I understand it. I know this is when the book was written before that, but I mean the 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 film does bring to the fore this this idea that that Draco Malfoy is is someone who has particular attitudes to racial purity, to wizarding purity and he he refers to people as dirty mobloods and he doesn't I mean he is very vocal about say Hermione and and mixed mixed race as as it's seen there, um, the dilution of of wizarding purity, and that's something you had with Salazar Slytherin, one of the one of the founders, and that was that was one of the reasons I believe I'm not up on Harry Potter law, but wasn't that why he broke away from the school? Is that right? Yeah, that's one of the reasons. Right. Yes. Okay. One one of the reasons he he broke away was that. They, they didn't like his, his attitudes to race. I just wonder whether that is something that is reflected in this film. I see what you're saying. I think that it's an interesting inherent part of the of this whole world because you do have this kind of the word muggle that is used to describe no people with no magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see in the first book you hear the word squib uh, people who are from medical families but haven't, can't do any magic so even in the so called progressives, people who wouldn't use the phrase mudblood, which by the way from a literary point of view is a brilliant made up slang term yeah. um, you 
you already have this kind of setting up. They go to a school, a hidden school in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's a very different kind of... They set themselves apart from the rest of the world. You know, the, the, the magical community have the skills to solve a lot of major problems in in the muggle world, but they don't. So we already are sitting in a a sort of removed and separate community who hold themselves, I suppose, above the average community. So like, even, even, the, even the liberals, shall we say, even the progressives of this are still... Very much on the, you know, keep it a secret, keep it apart, don't share your skills kind of thing. Mm. Um, so I think that, that, but obviously this is a kids' film, so we don't really don't deal with that kind of that kind of depth to it. Um, but the, you're right. I think that the film does unearth this kind of idea of purity, um, and I think that's you know it's. It's interesting that the scene with Hagrid when he says, you know, at this point no one's pure. You know, this far down, you know, these day and age no one's a pure magic. Mm. Because, you know, the, clearly, if there's one school for all magical kids in the UK, there aren't that many magical kids in the history. You've got, what, five five boys and five girls in with Gryffindor. So you're looking at, what, 40 kids a year. So maximum 300 kids overall. Yeah, and, and that that's not a big community. Okay. Um, and obviously, uh, we are dealing with, you know, the, 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 there is a... It's something about of the dip of the birthdays following the last Wizarding War, that kind of thing. But obviously, you know, this is this is still um, part of this world. So, you, it isn't a big world at this point. If you want to be purebred, you are so inbred that you can't function. Mm. But I think it's very interesting. The film touches on a little bit of how Lucius, uh, how um, Draco Malfoy's uh, racism, let's call it that, or Zeno, or bigotry. Is clearly a learned behaviour. We investigate in this first, this second film. We see his pet, his dad, and there's very much the feeling that he has been indoctrinated. This is that that this kind of bigotry is something that's been learnt and actively taught. Mm. Um, to you know that the, the fact that you know when he uses the, the phrase "mud blood," everyone in the community is like, "Oh, you can't do that." Yes, you know it. It, it is considered. You know, akin to the N word of, of of sort of real life. That's that's really interesting. That you, I mean, like you say, this is a quote unquote progressive environment. You have the kids' reaction to hearing that word, and they they say, "Oh my god, you you can't say that." But then at the same time, this is, as you said, it's isolationist. I mean. You, you've taken a group of magical people and it's quite a small section of society and you've isolated yourself when, as you said, you could do a lot of good in the world. Um, this is something I think I think it gets explored with the Michael Gambon um, iteration of Dumbledore, so we'll talk, touch on it in later films. Um, and although I haven't, haven't seen everything as Rob has, I've seen the couple of films on the series it, it's interesting how Dumbledore is in the third and fourth films is a, is a sympathetic character in some respects and, and you love him and you understand Harry's reverence for him as almost a father figure at times but at the same time you think he, he is selfish and he what he's doing I do not agree with and part of it is this mm. shutting himself off from the world and not doing what he could to help. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the very much there is a concern for. I say because there's concerns for magical folk and magical folk only mm. um, through this film and and, and through the community as a whole. Um, but I think you know it, it's it is interesting that if you look at narratively, that you, of the three main protagonists, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, in terms of competency, shall we say, it very much goes Hermione at the top, then Harry, then Ron at the yes. bottom. Ron, Ron, Ron uh, in this film particularly becomes comedy relief rather than you know even in the first film he was good at chess. This thing's kind of got nothing going on. Yes. And if you look at the purity in comedy comments of those characters, it very much goes the other way. Yes. Ron, Ron is your purebred. Harry, I believe I can't remember him, but both his parents were magical, but his mum was a um, Muggleborn. Mm. I believe though I probably anger a lot of the Potterheads there, but I'm getting that wrong. Um, and obviously Hermione is in pure muggle-born. Yes. But her competency is through the roof. Well, this is... I mean, maybe then this is... I mean, this this whole series is the narrative arc of Harry Potter, but actually, could this be read differently? Is this whole thing the tragedy of Hermione Granger? That she is someone who is is not pure-born, so is looked down on, will never be as good as other people, but... Through her talent, through hard work, she has she has aspired to greatness, and she's being being shot down by people because of who she is. I I, I would agree, I, I, and there there is a I mean it's, it's mostly for comedy told, but there is a obviously a uh, element of fandom of Harry Potter. Where you're like you know actually Harry was like in many ways not he was the hero, but he wasn't the one doing all of the work. Mm. You know, he 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 was the hero by accident by being cursed. You know, by being by being um, being killed who who defeated Voldemort as a baby, but he isn't competent. He isn't that kind of, but he is relatable, and that's why we have him. Yes. Um, as a uh, as a protagonist. Before we move on quickly to the uh, recommendations, I wanted to flag up one other theme that I noticed in the film. I haven't prepped out on this, so I'm gonna drop a minute. I'm sorry about this. Um, but especially watching it back, I noticed the on-running theme of home, the idea of home. Mm. You see Harry's home with his um, aunt and uncle early on. You see him talking to Dobby and saying, no, I belong in your world, that's my home. You see the difference between his home and the Weasley's home, which is much more of a ramshackle cottage-style life. Um, and the idea goes forward about where does Harry belong and do these people belong uh, in in this wizarding world and what is home and there's a big thing about Riddle being like living in the, the school and this idea of home has becomes twisted by the discovery of this chamber of secrets we haven't got time to dive into it deeply but I just noticed that as this recurring motif in the film that home and belonging was a sort of ongoing thing and also well just linking to what we were just saying that the the more the more mixed you are, the less of a connection to the wizarding world you're seen to have, the less home is shown in the film. So Hermione's mm. home is not shown. Harry's home is shown bits of, but he never really feels he belongs with his aunt and uncle. So he doesn't really belong the place that is known as his home. And then you have the Weasleys and they have a home and it's a loving home and it's it's rooted and everyone knows where they belong. So the the most 
I suppose that the most evocative home in the film belongs to the unquestionable wizarding family. I think that's an interesting, I suppose, narrative idea, certainly. Mm. So, recommendations. Yes. Um, my first recommendation, I'm going to cheat a bit because it's something we've, we've talked about quite recently. Uh, but I think it would be remiss in um, a podcast talking about um, a film that focuses so much on snakes um, to not flag up the whole of the Indiana Jones sequence um, and the the character's aversion to snakes. So whether you want to look at the origin stories of the Last Crusade and his his reaction to snakes or the appearance of snakes in the other films. Um, that, that's my that's my first recommendation for this week. Fair enough. Um, my second second recommendation is a link to an actor whom I've mentioned um, briefly earlier on. I very much enjoyed in this is, um, and you you mentioned the character as well. Lucy Balfour is Jason Isaacs, and he was very good in the two thousand film The Patriot. Um, I'm. We'll put that in as a recommendation, although there's another Jason Isaacs film. There's a brilliant Jason Isaacs, it's brilliant in the inverted commas, Jason Isaacs film, Dragonheart, from the mid-90s. And um, I found out this week, from listening to the Kevin DeMayo show, that actually um, Jason Isaacs was only chosen for the part in Dragonheart because he had a 36-inch chest and they'd already bought the costume. That's the sole reason he was chosen. But in in terms of uh, filmic prowess, I would would definitely go for the Patriots from two thousand. So I I've done very similar things to you, right? Um, and uh, I've uh, taken an actor and taken a sort of a a, a theme and gone on with it. So over the actor first. So unlike you, I do enjoy Scarlett Okay. I do enjoy him in a film, and I like him and not because he went to the same theatre as me, and uh, you know the, the link there, but uh, actually do enjoy him as well. Um, so I am going to recommend his film from um, excuse me, <clears throat> two thousand two. The film is Rabbit Proof Fence, and this is a film of three Aboriginal girls in Australia who um, escape. Um, from where they've been taken for indentured servitude and basically make their way across the outback. I'm not saying more than that because it's a film that needs to be appreciated, um, but he plays uh, one of the characters in it. He is very much a, a minor part compared to obviously the three main girls, but it's a, a very, very good film. It doesn't get enough love. Three three um, things about that. One is that yep. links very well to our ideas about purity and race that we've been talking about earlier um it, second thing is it's a great film and third thing is it's one of the very few times that i've actually seen one of the films you recommend so just well there we go well i'm glad well I'm, you may as well mix i'm not sure so my the theme my film works that ram is the theme of the film a film of purity and about the idea of levels of society is Andrew Nichols' film from 1997, Gattaca. Okay, no. 
Agathica stars Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. It is an imagined future in which genetic purity becomes all-consuming and genetic interaction, gen- genetic um, interference is big. So if you, you get your children when you give birth, you get them genetically chosen and genetically engineered how you want them to be. And if people aren't managed to be genetically perfected, um, then they become a second classism. This tells a tale of Ethan Hawke, who is an inferior um, genetic specimen, and how he tricked his way into the upper crust and, and the higher society of those who are pure. Uh, it has some very interesting ideas about um, purity and the idea of purity versus competency and how we view people who are in our minds less so um, because they are different to us. And the idea that there is somehow a idealised pure or idealised best. Um, it's very, very good. And if you really, as I say, Sam, if you haven't seen it, I would really recommend that. I think it's one you particularly get a lot out of. Right. Um, so yeah, Gattaca from Magnetum. Good. So guys, we will be back next week with the third part in our um, Harry Potter trilogy, Harry Potter trilogy, Harry Potter um, franchise. Till then, you can see us probably on Twitter. You can find me at Rob Kaiji. You can find me at Life underscore Academic. And you can find both of us at the Prestige Podcast. Um, also, guys, if you are on Twitter, please go and follow along uh, at Kaiju FM. This is the podcast network that we are part of, um, and it's kind of been launched in the last few weeks. So please go give them a follow. You can check out all the other awesome shows that are part of our of our podcast network. And we'll see you next week. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.